0: Good evening. I was kind of nervous, uh, actually, this morning because of the time change, and I had no idea what was uh, going to happen. And um, so my family was in town, and uh, my in-laws were also at church, and I think there was like four other people. And I think they were like getting nervous. They're like, "I thought, I thought you said things were going well at the church." So I was like. So uh, eventually, people came in, and, and it, was, it was all fine. But um, anyway, yeah. Philippians chapter two. We're uh, just finished through verse four. Going to start in verse five tonight and go through uh, five through eleven. And um, the subject matter tonight is um, is kind of foundational to Christianity. And um, let's just start by prayer. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, be amongst us here, um, touching us, helping to see uh, what you want us to learn from um, from your spirit ministering to us. And uh, if, if it be through the text, then great. Uh, wherever people are at, that um, you would, would touch them um, in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you noticed, but there was this whole this in the ceiling um, up in the balcony Um, probably not right so um, anyway Dave Dave Kim fell through the ceiling Um, actually he Dave his ninja reflexes kicked in and he caught himself so he's just like hanging like this like, yeah. um, I wish I could have seen it. I just hear stories about it. And um, so, that, anyway, so there's this hole. And our friend Howard uh, was working to to patch up the ceiling. And, and Howard would pretty much, you know, every day after he'd work on, on this stuff, he, he'd clean it up. He, he'd clean up all his stuff. And he's really good about that. But the only thing he left there was this ladder. And the ladder would be pointing up to this gaping hole um, the size of... David Kim's bottom half and um, I'm not saying you're big I'm I'm just I'm just saying the force of it boom opened and and this was interesting to me because um, the way it looked was like this ladder like stairway to heaven like it was like oh god you're, you're up there and um and so this is a gaping hole. But it also represented something else to me as well, um, which I'm going to get into later, uh, which is a huge part of this message. And, and then I got to thinking about corporate ladders and other types of ladders that people climb to gauge success. Because in our society, in our culture, um, these types of ladders are valued. They're uh, esteemed. So our society believes that at the top of the ladder is good stuff. Hopefully. And by committing your life to climbing to the top of this ladder, you're going to reach the pinnacle of success. You're going to get to the pinnacle of recognition, uh, of fame, of status, of respect, of significance. And this is a very highly valued thing in our society. (laughs) Now we're going to start. uh, So a lot of people are climbing this ladder. And out of college, I met some pretty successful business people. And one guy, I remember, um, he, he was twice my age, and he was really good at climbing the ladder. So, so I'm about you know, 21, 22. I'm right out of college. And, and he comes pulling in in his brand new S-Class Mercedes. Brand new. And I, and I was like, wow. People really drive things like that? And and opened it up, and the way that the door closes, was. like, poof. And, and it smelled nice. and It was like a nice museum. And I was afraid to touch things. Like, whoa, this is like worth more than everything I own, right? Just one thing. And I was talking about the seat, not even the car. Just like... <laughs> and, um, and I was driving this 15-year-old Volkswagen diesel rabbit. It was 15 years old at the time that I was there. Not now, then. And the paint on it was chipping all over the place and it was rusting. I mean, how, a car doesn't rust in California. This car was rusting. And, and I used to get letters from Air Quality Management District uh, about my car. Like, like how, how can you report me? Like, this thing, I have to get around. So, but every time I changed gears, it was like, poof, black smoke. Poof. And so, I, I got reported all the time. I used to get these things all the time. Like, oh, you know, I'm a poor guy. Help me. And, and then they'd let... And then, um, so, you know, every time, like, somebody would, like... Um, what do you call tailgate me? I'm like tailgate me, huh? <coughs> and it was it was great. It was like Batmobile. Like I had I had the Batmobile, and and I probably had oil slick too because I had to fill this thing out with quarter oil every day. And so um, I probably could have just like shook it a little bit and have oil slick. So it was actually a cool car. And and the, and these doors wouldn't close like that Mercedes. Like poof. Yet the Mercedes was like this vault door, and it was like mine was like aluminum foil and I had to slam that thing, right? And, um, and it wouldn't close. And then I really had to slam it to close. And, and then and I came up pulling in my car to this guy. And the guy was like, wow, people really drive things like that. So when he started out his business, um, he would look at the profiles of other successful people, right? Other successful business people who were for, further along than he was in, in similar industries and, and the pictures and the stories, um, those things would drive him towards success and, and motivate him to, to climb that ladder faster. So, so much so that within the industry, within our industry, he was known to be one of the fastest. I think he had the fastest record in, in making a, a certain level of success in the shortest amount of time. And, and this was a bragging point for him. And as, as As many of the the people that were more successful than him, they they were actually older and it took them longer to get there. And even though he had the record for being the fastest to this particular level of success, he found that others were passing him. And not only passing his level of success, but that they were younger than him. And sure, he beat them getting to this level, but he plateaued while while these younger guys were, were passing him up. So these younger guys were passing him up on the ladder. And making more money than he was making and having more things to prove that he wasn't as successful as them because instead of them driving S-Class Mercedes, they were driving exotics. They had their Maseratis and their Lamborghinis and their Ferraris and things like that and private jets and things like that, and he didn't. And every time he'd hear these stories of other guys passing him up on the ladder, it would sting him a little bit. And it was okay when he was the top dog, but now... There were others on a faster track than he was, and the funny thing about success ladders is that it's it's never enough. It's never enough, and and so and and it's supposedly successful, but then um, you have some sort of success, but then the other weird thing about it is that others have to lose, and it's not as fulfilling to just be towards the top, but others have to be below you. So you know what he did? He faked it. He'd fake being happy for his colleagues, but, but just from talking with him, uh, I as well as my colleagues who were, were younger guys could tell he was really bothered every time we'd even mention it. We'd mention that people were on a faster track or had these things and, oh, when are you going to get it? And we'd, we'd, we'd purposely do this because we were in our early 20s and just cocky little business jerks ourselves, so we would purposely do that to him. I know, i, I I'm sorry. And each, of one, each one of us was like comparing to each one another, telling each other, like, well, I'm going to climb it faster than that guy did. I'll break his record. Right? And we're all these little cocky young business guys starting out. Anyway, the ladder became more like a cult to him. And everything was around this this ladder, the success ladder. And you couldn't talk about anything else with him. And it seemed that he loved his family. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he loved his kids as well. But it seemed that he cared for the ladder more because... Every time you would talk about other things more personal, he would bring it back to that again. And he proclaimed to be a Christian, but he was more excited to talk about the ladder than Jesus. And he didn't talk about character or service or spiritual gifts or ministries because everything was reserved to talk about this ladder. And I believe that the ladder he was climbing was his God. And when he was younger, he had more energy and more drive. And each time he touched a new rung of the ladder, it would give him more satisfaction. But it's not long lasting because when you're on it, you always have to keep climbing in order to keep up with that satisfaction. And eventually he found out what most people find out, that age is not forgiving. And as you age, you naturally get slower. Each rung you try to reach for is a little bit more difficult people below you are pulling at you to get past you while people above you are kicking at you to keep you down and then the air just gets thinner as you go up right so even though he was a smart guy and he was just stuck on this ladder and he couldn't get off and part of it's because of fear you know what what would i do without my money what would i do without my material wealth and a little bizarre since he risked so much in building his business by sacrificing so much time and en- energy from his family and sacrificing his financial well-being to pursue his enterprise, but he couldn't get off the ladder because the ladder owned him. See, there there are many ladders that where we live. It's not just uh, career ladders or um, success ladders, but there's ladders with, with schooling, with academics, with, with how you look, your physical appearance, with... Your ideologies, whether it's political or or social justice issues, there's there's a bunch of different ladders. And once you get on one, it's really hard to get down from it. And especially the higher you climb. The higher you climb, the harder it is to jump off. It gets scarier. And and you start losing perspective because when you climb upward, you're focused upward, right? You climb up. You start focusing on who you're going to pass next. And and you forget about all those that you passed. And it becomes more self-serving. And we forget that there are people without a roof over their heads. That there are people going hungry. That there are people who are going to sleep cold. That people don't have a way to move about. Instead, we think about our next purchase uh, for our next homes. Uh, about where we're going to get takeout. Um, whether we have clean sheets on our beds, where the cheapest gas is for our second car, and many many of you are college educated, and and um, at that from very good schools, so so you guys know about ladders and and being put on them by your parents, and it starts at a really young age. You know, kids kids have stress at a very young age. See, my wife taught at a preschool for, for years, and she used to tell me about stories putting. Um, parents putting their kids uh, through these tests and tutorials and, and enrichment programs and, so that their three- and four-year-olds could go to the most prestigious kindergarten. And then the parents would get so upset that their kids didn't get accepted. How come your preschool doesn't prepare them better to go to the most prestigious kindergarten? They're four. They're three. In his book, Who Needs God?, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote about a very bright college student who attended a a prestigious university. And this student was an extremely uh, gifted student, and and he planned on becoming a doctor. And at the end of his sophomore year, his parents were were so proud of their son that they rewarded him with this summer trip to the Far East. And there, he met this guru that totally changed his life. The guru said, Don't you see how you are poisoning your soul with this success-oriented way of life? Your idea of happiness is to stay up all night studying for an exam so you can get a better grade than your best friend. Your idea of a good marriage is not to find the woman who will make you whole, but to win the girl everybody else wants. Give it up. Come join us in an atmosphere where we all love each other. The young man seemed really eager to join. He called his baffled parents from Japan and told them, I'm not coming home. He told them he was dropping out of school and that that he was going to live his life in the ashram. And then six months later, his parents received a letter from him. It says, Dear Mom and Dad, I know you weren't happy with the decision I made last summer, but I want to tell you how happy it has made me. For the very first time in my life, I'm at peace. Here there is no competing, no hustling, no trying to get ahead of anyone else. Here we are all equal and we all share this way of life is so much in harmony with my inner essence of my soul that in only six months, I've become the number two disciple in the entire ashram. And I think I can be number one by June. See, our spiritual lives can be affected by this ladder-climbing mentality. And so Paul writes to us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the majority of the New Testament scholars think that the words that the verses that we're going to cover tonight are actually a pre-Pauline hymn based on the language and the structure of this passage. And these words here may be the very oldest words of the early church. But I want us to start by just looking at verses six through seven here. Verse six who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. In college, I had a professor uh, named Dr. Keith Reeves, who taught Greek, and he also taught Luke and Acts. And he taught me some really, really cool things, and um, just really stretched my mind on a lot of things, and most of which I really don't remember. My fault for choosing 7.30 classes in the morning. So anyway, there's, there's a participle in verse 6. And it's this word being. So who, G, is this is Jesus, being in the form of God. So what is a participle? It's a verbal adjective, right? So it, it's a verb that is used to describe a noun. So for example, a screaming baby. I know that one very well. I have one. So the word screaming is the participle. And in the Greek, there are different types of participles. So there are circumstantial participles where you have to pay a a particular attention to the circumstances or or the context in which they occur. And and depending on the context, you could translate a circumstantial participle as causal. So causal, and, and you would use the word because in front of it, right? So because the baby was screaming... Or it might be concessive, right? Although the baby was screaming. Or it might be conditional, if the baby was screaming. Or it might be durative, while the baby is screaming. All of which I've experienced. So let's use an example. For example, being an Oakland Raider fan, I think we will win the Super Bowl. Yes, some of you might translate it as "you are crazy." They don't have a chance to win the Super Bowl. But let me ask you this question: Who, who of you here are, are insane enough to argue with an Oakland Raider fan? Right? So, not me. So for me, go Raiders. If you're a Raider fan, yeah. Go Raiders, okay. So back to being an Oakland Raider fan. Let's let's take being out, and so we're going to translate being and blank. An Oakland Raider fan, I think we will win the Super Bowl. Now look at these these words in silver and black. Yeah, Raider. Okay, I have nothing against you guys. You guys are awesome. Because although if while, which of those words would you use to fill in the blank? You could use all of them and kind of manipulate them. But let's just use because. Because I'm a Raider fan, I think we will win the Super Bowl. Let's look at another example. Being a Lakers fan, I almost think they will win the NBA championship finals. Okay, Let's go to the blank again. If you had to choose one of those words or phrases in the purple and gold, which one would you put in the blank? See, although I am a Lakers fan, I almost think they will win the NBA championship finals. So Paul says the Lakers are going to win the NBA championship finals. And he's calling right now. <laughs> Paul says Jesus, being in the form of God, became a bond servant. How do you translate that? Which one is it? Well, it could be translated as concessive. If that's the case, you would read it as Jesus, in spite of the fact that that he was God. And this actually makes sense from a human perspective. This seems logical, right? That if I am God, I don't have to serve anyone. That's one of the perks of being God. I'm God. That Jesus became a servant in spite of the fact that he was God. And isn't that the way that we would think if we were God? But if we understand the, the, the flow of Paul's argument... If we understand the context and and what he's saying about God, it's precisely the opposite of that. So this should be translated, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who precisely because he was in the form of God, being in the form of God, precisely because of that, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Jesus came as a bondservant, not in spite of the fact that He is God, but because He is God. Isn't that a lot different? He didn't come because He felt you owed Him something and He wanted to show you that you owed Him something. He came because that's who He is. It's the very nature of God to serve. Isn't that amazing? That's our God. The reason why He came is because He wanted to model for us how He is. What He is like. His very being. God who has a nature of a servant. That's the God who we serve. And God is not prideful, even though we may think that He has every right to be. It is not His nature to be prideful. God is humble. When God came to earth, He came to us as the most humble person to ever exist. Jesus came in the form of a bondservant, and He wasn't trying to cover up who God is. Jesus was revealing to us Who God is. How different this passage is from those success profiles that that successful business guy was reading. This is not a story of someone climbing up a ladder. This is a story of someone who is coming down the ladder. That is what's great in God's eyes. That is the other thing that that hole in that ceiling represented to me it, it represented to me that the folly of man who think that climbing up is the way to get ahead and to be served but God is showing us that it's about coming down and to serve so Dave Kim was just being like Jesus crashing down from heaven from above to serve us right and, and he's a great picture of what Jesus did it really is and, and I was like John the Baptist because before he fell I did um, I, I left that part out. I fell through too. I mean, it's slippery up there. And um, as you can see, my ninja skill saved me too. We are a staff of ninjas here at Regeneration. <laughs> so Paul is saying that Jesus is God. Now, if we were to, to put on put on an org chart, right, and to see where God fits in, where does God fit in our org chart? Where do you think God would be? The top, right? You can't get much higher than God, right? Top. So you can't get promoted past God, right? So yet Jesus climbed down from the top. He, he never held on to that position. He, he doesn't have to get his way. And he left it up to the hands of the Father and he came all the way down the ladder and became a servant. And the angels in heaven are servants, but, but Jesus goes down yet lower. And Jesus became a human, taking on our flesh and blood and taking on our limitations and and our means of life. And God, Jesus, did this. God incarnate. And this is the doctrine of the incarnation. God came down the ladder. And to even come down lower, He came down to humble standards, even as a human. And people would probably choose to to live as royalty. Like, you know, if, if I was God, I'd be thinking like, I want to be a king. Right, I want to have servants. I want to have all all the bling. I want to have all the comforts of life. I I want to eat well. I want to have everything kind of situated. He didn't. He didn't have amazing wealth. Jesus was born in a manger, parents of uh, to parents of ill repute, not from their doing, but because God had arranged it that way. And his parents were peasants, who had very little money. And even from this meager way of life, he went even lower than that. Jesus became obedient to the point of death. He came to die. It's not something that anyone wishes for their children. It's not considered to be the pinnacle of success and something that you should strive for. I I strive for death. Yet Jesus still came down the ladder even more. Verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Death of the cross. Now that's bottom. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Paul writes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And this is in reference to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, where the law says, For he who is hanged is accursed of God. He became a curse. This was a curse that was detested more than any other curse. This was a terrible fate, and it stunned the world. And it still stuns the world. And for some, it, it's kind of lost its sting. But, but to followers of Christ, this should be painfully real to us. Next month, we observe the Passion. We observe Easter. And I hope and pray that we don't make it all about spring break bunnies and Easter eggs. I tell you the truth that's that's kind of offensive to me. That stuff kind of insults me. My God died for me. You know, yes, I'm going to celebrate his resurrection on Sunday, but it's insulting to me that people tend to forget what happened before his resurrection. He died. And it wasn't of natural causes. He was tortured and killed. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus, God, died on a cross so that we could have a relationship with the Holy God. Jesus, God, came down a ladder. He humbled himself, died on a cross for our sins so we can be redeemed to God. So please don't forget the meaning, the real meaning of the passion, the real meaning of Easter. It's not about bunnies and coloring eggs and hunting for them. This is about Jesus, who went down the ladder as far as anyone could go, as far down as possible, not in in spite of the fact that he was God, but precisely because of the fact that he was God. And one of the problems with spending your life climbing up the ladder is that you will climb over Jesus, who is on the way down. Jesus climbed down, not up. He climbed down to serve, to, to give of himself sacrificially, and it's the most godlike thing we can we can do as humans. And, and when God, when Jesus climbs down to teach us what service is, what sacrificial love is um, all about in the kingdom, people didn't get it, even though He did it right in front of them. Not everyone could understand what He was teaching because they were too busy climbing up that ladder instead of climbing down. Let's look at the disciples. Luke chapter nine, verse forty-six. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And there's another instance recorded in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. They argued about who was the greatest in front of the most humble man to ever live. That's bizarre. I didn't read the same verse in mistake. they, They argued both times. And actually, it's not only a couple of times. It happened several times. And the, 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 the disciples thought they were Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. Right? That, that was his catchphrase. Back in the 60s, um, Ali was known as Cassius Clay. He was, he was this rising star. Not yet the champion, but he was this rising star. So he's on a plane, on a, on a flight, going to a fight. And he's hanging out with his friends. And the stewardess walks by uh, before they took off. And he saw that his seatbelt wasn't fastened. So she, she asked him to fasten it. He ignored her. And she asked again, and he ignored her again. Then she leaned over, and, and she ordered him. She said, fasten the seatbelt now. And he turned to her, and he looked her up and down. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She replied, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> Buckle up. So the disciples thought about who was the greatest, uh, G- and Jesus even taught on it in front of them. And they heard Him talk about it. They saw Him live His life. They were with Him. And they still didn't get it. So Jesus does something to get their attention. Something pretty shocking. He washes their feet. He was the very bottom rung of the latter job to do is the most humble thing to do in that culture to wash someone's feet. There were no closed shoes back then, no closed-toe shoes. You walked barefoot, or you walked in sandals through dirt roads that were that were dusty, and collecting dirt on sweaty feet. Or if it was raining, it would be muddy feet. And sometimes there was animal excrement out there because animals just went on the road. It's not like they had an animal latrine that you could let your donkey go over there and. So there was stuff there, right? And if they weren't like these paved Roman roads, which are pretty amazing. They had like the sewer system where you can clean it. Anyway, if we ever go there, I'll show it to you. They they probably weren't cleaned up. So feet were getting pretty dirty and they weren't taken care of out there. And in the Gospel of John chapter 13, the, the, the night before Jesus was betrayed and going to be hung on the cross, they get together to have a meal and maybe the disciples were arguing again, but this time it was about the foot washer. Hey, anybody remember to uh, get a foot washer? How can you guys forget a foot washer? We're going to have a meal together. In John chapter 13, verses 4 through 5, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He took all that junk from them. took it on himself. And Jesus, God, came down to the lowest rung on the ladder. He showed them how people in their time and their culture served. No fame, no money, no recognition, but precisely because he was God. He was showing them the nature of God and the essence of his being. Let's think about this in today's term. American Idol. What is the likelihood that Simon Cowell will come down from his judgment seat to the contestants and serve them? Oh, your pitch is quite off. I think you just need some water. Not going to happen, right? He's like going to cuss them out or something. Throw water at them or something. And Jesus comes down from his seat in heaven to where we're at and, and gets down on his knees to humans. God gets on his knees. God takes a towel, a basin of water, and starts washing feet. His disciples' feet. Guys who are supposed to be following Him. And Jesus, precisely because He is God, takes those filthy, grubby feet with His bare hands. Not as sanitary as we do it now with those latex gloves and stuff. And He cleans them and He dries them off and He he goes from one disciple to another, washing all of their grimy feet. Guys who are busy climbing, fighting about who is the greatest. Like many of us do. And after Jesus is done washing their feet, he takes his garments back, sat down again, and he has this to say in John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master or is he who is sent greater than who he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, Jesus showed us an alternative way of living. We don't have to keep climbing. We can gird ourselves with a towel and offer to serve others. To help others. And in this alternative community, there's no climbing. There's no comparisons. There's no rivalry. There's no competition. We are busy feet washing. We're busy serving, helping, not climbing over with, over each other and trying to get ahead of one another. And, and this is a very, very difficult way of life because we live in a society of ladder climbers. And ladder climbers are, are very well respected. They're very well esteemed. And you know we have a lot to celebrate at, at this church. We do. There, there's a lot for us to rejoice about. There is something that I want to bring up that is, that is hard to bring up because um, I think for some of you it's going to hit you between the eyes, um, but but I have to. I want to bring to our attention about um, girding ourselves with a towel, with, about service, about servanthood. How are we doing in that department? I mean, we can ask that of ourselves as a church, but individually ask yourself, how are you doing in that department in that service department? Have you guys heard of the Pareto principle? Any business majors, economics, you you would have heard about this. It's also known as the 80-20 rule, right? It's where roughly 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. So for example, a sales force, 20% 20% of the sales force creates 80% of the company's revenues. Okay, Or 20% of a company um, does 80% of the work. That, that's the principle. I think it pertains to region where 20% of the servants are doing 80% of the serving. If you're not that 20%, I'm, I'm kind of directing it towards you. We can do better than this. We're not the world. We're not falling under Pareto's principle, are we? We will do better than this, won't we? And if Jesus came down the ladder to gird a towel, don't you think it brings him more joy than climbing a ladder? Verses 9 through 11. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall, should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So the day is coming when when everyone is coming off that ladder and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you picture this? Brangelina's knees are going to bow, Right. Radiohead's knees are going to bow. Elmo's knee will bow. Steve Jobs' knees will bow. Barack Obama's knees will bow. Warren Buffett's knees will bow. Osama Bin Laden's knees will bow. The Dalai Lama's knees will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus, the one who humbled himself to the lowest place, The lowest rung on the ladder has now been exalted and given the highest name. Serving is the path to joy. Jesus told us in John chapter 13, verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What does God want to do through us, our regeneration family? I think he wants our community of, of success-crazed ladder climbers to become girded with towels. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's go back to wearing togas, right? See, the, the ladder is a losing proposition. You don't have control over it. It has control over you. And there's no way to climb to the top because there is no top for you. The top belongs to no one except Jesus. And... It's it's, that top doesn't exist for you and we need to get off of it. But we can't without Jesus. We need Jesus. We need him to to help us off of there to help us get off the ladder and get girded with a towel. And we all struggle with some form of ladder climbing. We're all selfish in some way and and can use help in becoming more servant like this past weekend. I was working on this message um, mostly from my home. Um, my, my, My daughter, Isabella's birthday is this week. And Katie, my wife, she's an awesome mom and she's a great wife. And she's been doing so much prep for my daughter's birthday. And, and whenever she asked me to do something around the house, I, I'd often say, uh, I'd often get this, like, no attitude inside of me, right? Like, she's starting, like, oh, no, you no. no. And, and it's terrible. I confess, it's terrible. It's something I need to work on and, and something I, I decided to change this past week. And sometimes my reason was that... Um, Don't bother me. I'm writing this message on how important it is to serve. (laughs) I have to to work on a message to convince people to let go of their selfish agendas and get off their ladders to nowhere and go out and serve. I don't have time to run errands. I don't have time to help clean the house, to hang out, to, to watch the kids. Why can't you take care of that stuff on your own? It took a couple of days for the Holy Spirit to convict me. Um on Sundays I, I usually finish here and I go home and um, and then I start on next week's message and um, and then I take Mondays off and then Tuesdays I start prepping again and um, so all this time, like the Holy Spirit's convicting me of my attitude. but I don't change on Sunday last Sunday night and Monday was just hang out and then Tuesday I didn't change and then Wednesday night came and um, he was like, dummy, what's up? And I was like, I'm, I'm busy, God. I'm busy writing something for you. <laughs> and, um, and it finally got to me. And I, was, uh, I, I put things away and I was like, honey, let's go on a walk. We went out on a walk as a family um, for the first time in a long time. Um, and, and then uh, during the week, I, I, I started helping around the house. Um, cleaning up the kids toys and folding laundry and changing bed sheets and doing things here and there for the rest of the week Um, it was awesome and uh, I I was I I was worried about about sermon prepping because I was like I I need to present something that that people will like and kind of um, um, feed them and all this stuff and um, God was just convicting me of like you're just busy climbing a ladder You just want to impress people or your family's coming to town. So they were here this Sunday morning. You you just want to do something to show them that you're you're being successful here, that that the church is doing well. And I got so convicted of that. So I was done with my sermon Thursday. I never finish a sermon on Thursday. It's always like Saturday night. And the interns can tell you because I'm on like G-chat like four in the morning. I don't know why they're up at four in the morning. So so I got a a little chance to serve this week, and and I got a message illustration out of it, but now I don't even know whether it counts as serving or not, because now I'm telling you this, so I lose all the reward anyway. There are so many ways for us to apply this in our lives, aren't there? How about when when you're at work, and instead of taking that opportunity to to do some self-promotion about yourself, that you would actually build up a colleague? How about contributing more to your family in terms of of time and being with one another and, and sacrificing your comforts and free time to allow your spouse to do things that they don't often get to do? That one's for me. What about not being so consumed with someone else's grades and hoping they get a worse grade so that you can be ahead of them and being happy for them that they did well? There, there's like a ton of stuff that we can mention, a ton of examples that we can say. And we're part of this, this great church where every week we have these great opportunities to gird ourselves with a towel from um, the, the children's ministry to, to Funktown Farm to Cross Streets to the Moms Group. There, there are a bunch of ways to talk about this, but I don't think you need me to walk you through a bunch of the, the examples or the opportunities available. I think it goes a little deeper. I think we need to make a decision. I think it's time to make a decision. I think it's time for us as a church and and for some of you as individuals to get clarity to a question in your life. What do I want to do with my life? And it's not as simple as a career choice or going to college or something like that, even though all those things are good. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. But do I want to be about um, climbing ladders? Ladders at school, work, athletics, physical attractiveness, uh, relationships, politics, whatever that is. There's so many different ladders. You can plug in the one that you're struggling with. Do I want my life to be about climbing ladders or about girding towels? Coming off the ladder is a scary thing. Especially if you've been on it for a while because you're probably pretty high up there. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, the serpent said to Eve... For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and to you, uh, and, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the temptation is to be like God. We're tempted to climb to get to a place that really belongs to Jesus, that it only belongs to Jesus, thinking that we always have to climb higher while Jesus is actually coming down. Coming down to gird a towel. And we have decisions to make as to whether we are going to continue climbing or girding a towel. Ask God. Go ahead. Ask Him right now. Talk to Him about it. So, so if, if you're wanting to serve, and, and this is addressed to believers, Philippians, is there, there are going to be changes involved in your life. You're going to have to prioritize some things. You're going to have to try to fit things in differently. and There would need to be some sort of submission to God to change you. And you ask him to change you, to make you a servant that he desires. And then there may be others that don't know Jesus. The one who uh, left his throne from heaven to come down to the lowest point as a human, dying for you on the cross, and you have an opportunity to have him in your life. He came to serve you. He came down the ladder for you. He loves you. He won 't force his love on you but it's a, it's a gift that he freely has offered to you and we're going to pray right now and and i want I want you to pray this prayer if you want to to make a decision for him to be a part of your life for, for Jesus to be an advocate for you before a holy God who at the end of your life is going to judge you there's no way around it right and you will be found guilty of your sin without Jesus by your side the bible says the, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one. Because he's your advocate. There is no other way. So, let's pray. God, for those that uh, don't know who you are, that may have a misconception of um, who you are, thinking that you're just a God way up there that is just barking orders and, and telling people what to do and having these expectations. I hope their perception has changed. Knowing that at, at the very heart of who you are, at the very being of who you are, that is why you came down to serve. That's who you are. You're serving God. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you that... Um, that they would accept you, that 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 would start, that journey would start to have you in their life. For those who are um, outside of that 20% of of serving, pray for them, Lord, that um, you would speak to them, that you would minister to their hearts to gird a towel. In Jesus' name, amen.